Hey, Dan, what do you know about fintech? You know, Nick, not much, really. But you know who knows fintech? John Reynolds. John Reynolds knows fintech. Hello and welcome. My name is John Reynolds. This week we're talking about a very topical subject which has been in the news a lot this week, and that is politically exposed persons or PEPs. For those who have not been following the story, this relates to the row between Nigel Farage and UK banking giant NatWest, which has led to the NatWest CEO, Alison Rose, ignominiously standing down and the CEO of its upmarket brand, Coots, also standing down. Now, in the row, one of the claims made by Nigel Farage was that NatWest-owned um, upmarket bank, bank Coots and other banks didn't want him as a customer as he is a, a, a pep. So to discuss exactly what a PEP is, we are joined by Alia Mahmood, who is the Regulatory Affairs Practice Lead at the uh, Compliance Fintech Comply Advantage, who has a lot of knowledge about uh, the compliance landscape. So thanks very much for joining me, Alia. You are very welcome. Can you just give us a brief overview of your career, please? Hi, John. Thank you, and thank you for having me. Uh, I started off my career in the criminal law um, practice before I decided to move into financial services, where I worked as a risk and compliance manager for over the past 14 years. Started off at HSBC, where I spent a big chunk of my time working in the financial crime and regulatory compliance department before wanting to kind of dabble in the space of foreign correspondent banking in the UK. I worked there. That institution had a lot of PEPs and high net worth individuals before I decided to move into the fintech space and joined Revolut, where I was a lead regulatory compliance manager, specifically focused on anti-bribery and corruption. I then worked for an ethical fintech after that as a head of compliance to help them get authorized and licensed in the UK before deciding that 14 years on the client side in financial services was enough, and I wanted to work on the vendor side, which is why I'm with Comply Advantage today. We create financial crime control solutions for financial services and other regulated institutions so that they can understand the risks their customer and the customer's transactions can expose their business to. Okay, that's great. You sound very well placed to answer these questions because I'm somewhat ignorant about this subject. So, um, yeah, journalists this week have been trying to explain what, what a PEP is, but I, I'm pretty sure you can explain it a lot better than they can. So it, your definition, what is a PEP? So a PEP is an individual who is or has been entrusted with a prominent public function. So this is a person who um, is either the head of state, a prime minister, a parliamentarian, and the reason why financial service firms need to identify these individuals is because there is a risk that they could use their influence um, to commit certain types of financial crimes, specifically bribery and corruption. I don't blame journalists for struggling to define a PEP because there is no single global definition. There are industry body definitions and each country has their own definition of a PEP. And they're almost the same with different nuances between countries. Okay, that, that's great. That, that's very concise. So, I mean, you hit on a bit because this the story this week has been about a bank, but all financial institutions will deal with PEPs. And so, I mean, I, we deal with fintech. So it could be a neobank. It could be a, a buy now, uh, pay later. 
company, it could be any financial institution could have a relationship with a pet then? Absolutely. Any regulated business, a business that's regulated under anti-money laundering laws, they have a requirement to identify pets um, that might form part of their customer base. Okay. And um, and do we know, I did see some reports about how many, these are probably unsubstantiated, I saw a report that 150,000 people in the UK might have pet rules applied to them. I guess it's there might not be an exact figure because it's not something institutions can kind of talk about publicly and people really won't want to publicly disclose that they're a pet then maybe absolutely yeah but you know roughly roundabout that could be the the figure of pets in the uk okay so i mean can you give us a bit of color as to how uh how does a financial institution manage a pep and how does that differ from an, an everyday customer then yeah so you know i think um and going back to the numbers you said that those figures could also include foreign PEPs. So there is a distinction between domestic PEPs and then also foreign PEPs, and you have to identify both. Now, the important thing to remember is regulators do not want financial service companies to discriminate against PEPs or to not provide them with banking services because everyone has a legal right to an account. Now, because a PEP is higher risk, does not necessarily mean that they're bad or that they are going to commit any sort of crime. It just means that the financial institution has to do a bit of extra due diligence. So due diligence is where you would understand uh, you know, how much income a, a PEP is um, deriving, mm-hmm. where their source of wealth is coming from, Essentially, how have they accumulated their wealth? And when it comes to monitoring their transactions, the ins and the outs of the account, asking a bit of further extra questions if something seems a bit suspicious. And again, the the, the main purpose of doing this is to prevent any form of bribery and corruption um, for the country and for the economy. Okay, that is um, very interesting. So, so, I mean, the way you, I've never worked for a financial institution. Is that a lot of is that a big undertaking or like that doesn't sound too much kind of work or is that a lot of extra kind of work for the financial institution to do? Oh, it is. Absolutely. I, whenever you have to do enhanced due diligence on higher risk customers, it means that you are implementing manual processes. And what I mean by that is if you think about the neobanks and the fintechs of today, a consumer is opening an account within seconds, right? It's Mm -hmm. at your fingertips, it's on your mobile app. It's a very straight through process. But when it comes to onboarding higher risk customers like PEPs, you actually need to kind of stop that straight through process. You need to Mm -hmm. speak to the customer. There needs to be a client outreach. Oftentimes you need to ask for further information with regards to where the money has come from that they are depositing within your account, what the purpose of that account is going to be. So for example, why are you going to have an account with us? What services and products will you be using? And what is the expected turnover of that account? And all of those questions are really critical when it comes to deploying anti-money laundering processes and controls within that financial institution. Without that extra intelligence, it's very difficult to monitor that customer's account in a risk-appropriate manner. Okay, that is very interesting. So I think I read on your your website there was one, uh, I think you talked about the onboarding process and you said that the the PEP uh, shared experience of multiple home visits and an extensive 
waiting period for uh, an SME account. So that's kind of standard protocol, though, is it? It is. It's it's absolutely standard. And you know, sometimes um, as a consumer, you you want to have that extra friction because you know the financial institution is doing exactly what they should be doing to not only protect your accounts but also other consumers and the financial ecosystem. Um, okay, and this is so obviously. I'm going to sound stupid here. The, the the pet themselves, they'll know that they're a pet, then, won't they? Obviously, I, I, totally, a hundred percent. You know, back in the day, uh, some jurisdictions and firms would use the the process of self declaration to identify who is a PEP. So that is where you would actually ask the individual the question of whether they are a PEP. I guess the complaint complexity arises where as an individual you might not know that you're a politically exposed person Uh, but then that does fall on the financial institution to educate you define what the pep is based on their jurisdiction and then have you answer the question now that kind of self-declaration proved to be ineffective and inefficient and that is why you often see in financial service firms use um, technology such as the one Comply Advantage provides where the, you will screen the name of that individual to see if they are a PEP. Okay, uh, okay, that's very interesting. So some of the reports this week have suggested um, that some of the financial or generally the financial institutions are restricting, that they want less PEPs. That, that's true, is it? Can you talk a bit about that or...? Well, I, I can't say, I can't speak of specific financial institutions that are doing that, but I can speak around why a financial institution might do that. Now, every financial institution has what you call a risk appetite. That is, how much risk are you as a financial institution willing to take? to do business. And that will vary and differ from one firm to another firm. And where certain financial institutions feel that they do not have the resources, that could be human resources, capital resources, or that they do not have the systems and processes necessary to manage specific types of risks, they might decide not to accept certain business that might might have resulted to certain firms um, not wanting to onboard politically exposed people. Okay, that is interesting. So I guess, obviously, writing about fintechs, and there's a lot of startups, I mean, they could find themselves in that position then? Potentially, they could. But, you know, if they were smart, then they have created and implemented onboarding flows and processes that will allow them to onboard PEPs and that will allow them to effectively monitor that relationship throughout um, that customer life cycle. Because again, it's, it's very important that no one is denied a bank account, even if you are a politically exposed person or higher risk. However, because Financial institutions can adopt their own risk appetite and they are free to do so. It is up to them what decisions they make on who to onboard and who not to onboard. Okay, that's very interesting. So just for clarity, if if the the financial institution says they haven't got enough uh, resources and and they can't undertake taking the PEP on, then that's, that's okay. That's not breaching any rules then. 
Not, not at all. In fact, it's a very prudent decision. It's, it's the firm self-reflecting, being aware of where there are gaps in their processes. And I'm, and, and I'm sure financial institutions that are in such a position are working towards implementing processes that will enable them to accept such customers. Okay, yeah, because I was, I was also reading around a case, um, I think it was back in 2015, a Barclays had to pay out a staggering 72 million when the FCA, FCA found that, um, and this was related to PEPs, that I think that the conclusion was that Barclays hadn't um, had a rigorous uh, oversight or scrutiny of, of some PEP customers. I, just, I think that the piece I read was basically claiming that because that was such a big fine, that some of the financial institutions would be kind of wary about, you know, having having a similar fan. So maybe they didn't want to talk about um, pets. But as you say, it kind of comes down to the individual business. Absolutely. The individual business and what kind of processes they can put in place. But then, of course, the regulator, if you are accepting such higher risk customers, the regulator will expect that you have the necessary systems and controls in place to manage the risk of that customer. And in, if in the unfortunate event you found to not have effective controls, then it might it, it usually results in a very big fine, such as the Barclays one. Okay, so that, that's, um, that's really um, insightful. And can, can you, I mean, you touched on Comply Advantage. So just talk a bit more how you kind of work with your, your clients in this space then. Yeah, so at Comply Advantage, um, we have proprietary data. So that is data on politically exposed people, so PEPs globally, as well as sanctioned individuals, individuals who are on watch lists. So that could be known sex offenders. Um, in addition to that, so that is called our customer screening um, product, and that essentially enables um, our clients to understand who they're doing business with. You would usually screen your clients at the point of account opening, and then you do it on an ongoing basis. The, the set other products that we offer is the transaction monitoring and screening So screening, again, can come into the transactional side of things. Who are you sending money to and where is money coming from? Because of the risk of sanctions and also other types of financial crimes, you want to make sure that money is not going to or coming from an individual who is on one of these watch lists. Mm -hmm. And similarly, you want to monitor a customer's behavior to identify anything that could be suspicious um, that might indicate that the customer is either laundering proceeds of crime or is committing other offenses such as fraud. And you can only effectively do that with machine learning technology, behavioral analysis of past transactional patterns, and peer group analysis. And those are essentially the product suites that we offer our clients. Okay, uh, that's great, Alia. And just uh, on, on PEP, so it seems, um, is, there, is there any um, upside? <laughs> it seems that for, for the institution, it's a lot more work. And for the individual, they're at the risk of, of being debanked or not having a bank. I mean, what's the, is there any upside for the individual being a PEP and for the, for the financial institution then? Well, 
I guess from a financial institution's perspective, it's what products is that PEP using? A lot of products come with monthly fees. You have to have a certain amount of money deposited with that institution. And essentially, the investments, the lending, the products that are being held is what generates revenue and profits for that financial institution. When you think of it from the angle of the individual, power comes with responsibility, right? So if you are in a position of public office, that's not going to be easy, nor do I think these individuals expect their life to be easy. Um, and, and they carry um, a certain degree of risk. They uh, they are in control of how public funds are being spent, how taxpayers' money is being spent. Their words resonate across the media and can impact communities. Mm-hmm. And that, again, is um, power that has influence. So personally, I would never want to be a pep. Uh, it, it's just a whole lot of complication. But I think individuals in that position um, are trained to handle it. Okay, that's really insightful, Alia. And do you think, um, obviously, this is, as I said at the the beginning, this is stories kind of had a lot of traction this week. Um, Do you think, I mean, do you think, I guess, kind of know how journalists work, I guess more stories of this nature um, might come out. I mean, how do you think this will play out? And will there be a change in the, is is, is the regulatory landscape, will will that change? I mean, how, how will things kind of move on over the next few months? Well, the the UK government is already, um, you know, they've already put proposals forward to make some amendments and enhancements to the way PEPs are treated in, in the UK. Um, and that includes looking at the position and the level of a politically exposed person um, and risk rating a PEP in accordance to how senior they are. This is something that a lot of other jurisdictions have adopted. So this concept of not every PEP is very high risk. There are certain PEPs that are of a lower risk because they're middle ranking or junior officials. Uh, The UK hasn't really kind of post-Brexit transposed any new changes into their PEP laws. So that's definitely something on the horizon that we need to keep an eye out for. However, despite all of these changes, um, the the position of the UK government is still, from what I last read, that enhanced due diligence still needs to be performed on politically exposed people. So how financial institutions will benefit from this differing risk rating of PEPs when everyone needs to go through enhanced due diligence is yet to be seen. Um, I think uh, this new story is obviously going to continue in the media. I think more noise will be made around it. And I mean, if this had been an ordinary individual, would it be all over the news? And would the government be speaking out? Again, it's a position of influence. Yeah, okay. And this is, you probably, it's a bit of an unfair question, but I mean, there's, there's kind of, this has been kind of caught up in, in a wider question, hasn't it, about Nigel Farage and about kind of freedom of speech for both financial institutions and customers. And I mean, is there any, it's, I mean, the, the general movement, the general movement is, is that, it's not appropriate for financial institutions to ban customers for having beliefs, um, no matter how extreme uh, they are. And that's that, That's right, isn't it? I, I mean, I guess if you're really kind of extreme, then, you know, if it's something beyond the pale, then you could ban. But generally speaking, uh, it's best for financial institutions just to stick to the day-to-day job and not get involved in, in areas of kind of 
uh, political and social issues and I agree. I think that's the, the prudent way um, to deal with things. Everyone, um, even under the Equality Act, no one can be discriminated based on their political views or religious views. Of course, uh, if that individual is presenting um, a significant risk when it comes to money laundering or terrorist financing or proliferation, then that's another question. Uh, okay, Alia, um, I really appreciate uh, you coming on. That was very informative and uh, unveiling a world that I didn't know much about. So thank you very much. And that's all the time we've got for this edition of Tech EU's What Do You Know About Fintech? If you've liked the show or not, go ahead and hit subscribe, like, rate us, tell your mom, tell your dad, tell your brother, hell, tell your dog if you like. We'll see you next time.